the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Leslie. Hi again, Leslie, compulsive overeater, bulimic. Um, thank you, Tara, for asking me to speak. Um, it's so good to see all you guys, uh, all of you that I used to see at the meeting live and all of you who have joined Light a Candle on Zoom. Um, I have gone to Light a Candle since it started, which I don't remember what year it is, but it was a long time ago. And uh, I believe a big part of my success in recovery is consistency, is having what we call smart feet, that I do things whether I want to or not. It's like taking the action and the feelings follow. I always thought that I would think my way into good actions, um, but it doesn't work that way. I have to act my way into good thinking. And so every Saturday night I would get done with work and I would walk down San Vicente to light a candle. I'd feed these feral cats that I feed across the street before and see all my friends that light a candle. And I can't wait till we're all actually together again, you know. Um, but I have to say, you know, we are resilient. And, uh, you know, my favorite pandemic phrase is uh, Darwin in survival of the fittest said it's not the strongest or fittest that survive, it's the most adaptable to change. And so um, Zoom it is. Um, my, my husband actually just walked by, he goes, you got the Zoomies in there? You know, so uh, anyway, I'm in my, in my Zoom zone. So if you're new, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. And I wanna tell you that Overeaters Anonymous works. It works really, really well. And it, um, it works slowly. I'm really down with things that are quick. That's why I threw up because I could eat a ton of food and then throw it up and erase it. And it just was like, it never happened. And I felt skinny quickly, which wasn't actually true. Um, but uh, you know, it really does work and it works slowly and it's worked really well for me for quite a while. So if you're new, I'm glad that you're here and I hope that you jump right in, you know. Um, uh, and I'll just tell you a little bit about what it was like um, what happened to what it's like for me now. I'm, you know, I was a thin kid and uh, I was really athletic. And, um, but I have all these, I have all these memories of like my, us watching Sunny and Cher and my mom commenting on Cher's stomach and how flat it was while my mom had like ankle weights on, like lifting her leg up in the air. And, and then when we were in school and my brother was a little overweight and my my mom was, there was a lot of focus on that. Um, but I was a gymnast, I was working out like six days of the week. And, um, but from the time I can remember being in like probably middle school, we were always on a diet. Like I had this old idea, which took me so long into, even into abstinence to sort of smash and realize that it's, it's not true. Just like fat is not a feeling. I learned that here. How do you feel fat? You know, it's not a feeling. And, um, but I had that idea that if I were thinner, I would be happier, you know? And, and the, it was always like 
low, you know, like I just need to get there. And it, it's, it's that feeling of like, I, I find in recovery is that I don't have it so much now, but that happiness is just around the next corner. When I get that, I'll be happy. When I, you know, when I lose weight, I'll be happy. When I get a husband, I'll be happy. When I have kids, I'll be happy. When I buy a house, I'll be happy. But I have learned that happiness is a byproduct of right living and that I can be happy no matter what is going on in my life. Like I can be happy during the pandemic. You know, I'm, I'm big on, I had all my sponsees, we all talked about our pandemic silver linings, you know, which there are many. And so, um, but I learned all of that way later. So I was trying to be super skinny always. And we went on a million different diets, but I was like smoking pot back then. So we would go on a diet in the morning and then we'd like get stoned at school and then we'd go home and eat everything in sight. And, um, and then when I was, you know, I came into OA through Alcoholics Anonymous and my drinking, I was a bad alcoholic and I did a ton of drugs that kept you from eating. Like I thought a diet was like, I'm going to take some black beauties and I'm going to clean the house a lot and I'm not going to eat at all. And I'll just smoke cigarettes. And then that's how you, that's a diet. Like that's what you do to go on a diet and so like, don't eat at all. So, um, I did that. I took cross whites. I did all of these things. I, like I said, I worked out a lot and before I got sober, I was, I was at a place called Grove on Highland, which was, um, it was a gay leather kind of after hours club that opened at two in the morning. And I was doing crystal meth and MDA and all these drugs and drinking. And I was totally skinny because I literally never ate. Like we didn't, I didn't go to the market. I didn't, I lived a very weird life. So in 1985, God bless my grandfather, 12 step me and I got into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I'm, I know the program works because I came in through the AA door and I got sober right away. Like I have never drank since June 19th, 1985. And that in itself is, has to be God because I didn't do that. And so what happened to me was I got sober and I was super active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got a really good foundation, which has really held me in good stead. And if you're new, I hope that you get a sponsor and that you follow your sponsor's direction, you know, because I also believe it doesn't so matter what my sponsor tells me to do, it's the willingness to do it somebody else's way. Like my thinking was so cockamamie. And for me, I have never had, um, I've never been steered wrong by my sponsor. So, uh, so I got sober and, I could not stop eating. Cause like I said, I lived kind of like an animal before. I, I didn't do normal things. I didn't sleep. I didn't go to the market. I didn't eat meals. I mean, I just, I don't know what I did, but um, so I sober and I'm going to meetings. And if you've ever been to AA meetings, there was a ton of food. So I knew what meetings had candy and cake and, and I was just mowing down on stuff. And then we were at this, we were at Clancy's house. He had this thing called the yard. and um, I learned how to throw up from all the cool girls. All the cool girls were talking about throwing up and like really casually, like no big deal. And so I was like, I'm going to try that. And so I started throwing up. And at this time I was working. I was going to Santa Monica College because I had gone back to school and school made me feel so bad about myself. Because I could get by on like who I knew, you know, like we were dealing drugs, like I could just make things happen. And um, 
in school, I couldn't make things happen. You had to actually do the work. And I am not really a worker. Like I don't want, I just want to wake up and speak French. I don't want to take a French class. I just want the results. And so um, like I'm a good starter and I can start something, but I never followed through. So what I have learned here is that I, I finish what I start. And um, that was a whole new concept for me. You know, I, I usually bail out at a certain point. I'm a quitter because I also, I don't want to look bad. I didn't want to look bad in school. I was totally afraid. So I would go to school and then I would go home and I would start eating and I would eat and throw up and eat and throw up. And then I would brush my teeth and I'd go to my AA meeting. And then one night my sponsor looked at me and, and I was trying to manage and control my food. Like I, it, it's that, you know, I know that I am powerless over food and that a big part of the surrender and Overeaters Anonymous for me was that I have no power. I, I don't control my body. I don't control my food. That all of my strength has come from God and from the surrender, which the like turn it over. Like there are all those things that people would say that I really didn't understand for a long time. I get it now. Um, and so my sponsor looked at me one night and she said, what is wrong with you? Like, I, cause I mean, when you spend like hours in your house, just watching TV, eating, binging, throwing up, you get weird, you know? And so I lied to her and then I, I knew enough, like, what's the point of having a sponsor if you're going to lie? Like, you know, you can lie to your therapist, you can lie to, you know, I lied to everybody, but I, I, I remember like thinking, I have to tell her the truth. And so I, um, I told her the truth and she said, I want you to call this woman. And so I, I did. And she told me to go to an OA meeting. And I don't even think this woman was going to OA. And so I went to this meeting, you know, uh, in Brentwood, it was a woman's sexuality meeting at somebody's house. And so I remember being in that meeting and I a hundred percent identified with everything that was said there, you know, like I was talking to somebody on the phone the other day, maybe one of the girls I sponsor about beating myself up because I could just take that big stick out and beat myself up like horribly. I was so hard on myself. Like I would never say the things to another person that I said to myself. And, um, and so when I went to the meeting, I was like, oh my God, like, these are my people. Like I identified a hundred percent. It was an anorexic bulimic meeting. I tend to swing that way. You know, I'm an exerciser. I'm probably more of an under eater, you know, except if I was going to throw up. Cause I had that thing where I could kind of hold it together. But when I started eating and it was like a switch, like once I thought I'm going to throw up. I could not stop eating. And then I was focused on finding a bathroom that was private that, you know, I mean, I had so many gross things happen, you know, like my mom's house, the, the plumbing kind of overflowed into the flower bed one time and there was this vomit in there. I mean, it's so disgusting. And so, but I couldn't, once it started, I could not stop it. And that's why I know that this disease is beyond human aid. You know, I need a spiritual solution to solve my problem. And that comes for me from God, you know, which what I love about in the big book is that the way I understand it, 
in the book is that God, everybody will have a spiritual experience. It's, it's the steps help me find my way to a higher power of my own understanding. And it can be anything I want. You know, it's very loose. I just can't be in charge. And I had tried so hard to keep everything under control. Like every week I weighed myself Monday morning on that scale. And if the number was high, I overate. If it was low, i was rejoiced and over eight. And then I wrote it in the square. We all had like, uh, like, was it the day runner? Um, day runners. And so I would write it down and I was literally ruled by that stupid number. And uh, I actually don't weigh myself now. Um, I don't have a scale. We actually, so weird. We don't have a scale. Like I never get weighed, but then my husband has a scale now and he weighs himself all the time. And it's literally sitting on the floor and I never look at it. Like I wanted to weigh the cat the other day because I wanted to know how much the cat weighed. And he goes, you weigh yourself and then weigh the cat. And I'm like, I'm not getting on the scale. It just doesn't work for me. You know, I, some people weigh themselves. I don't weigh myself. It just made me feel terrible. I weigh myself when I go to the doctor, but um, sometimes if they make me. Um, so anyway, so I went to that meeting and then I, I heard, if you keep coming back, you will stop throwing up. Just keep coming back. So if you're new, just keep coming back. Um, and I think the last time I threw up was um, at my mom's house. I was afraid about the plumbing, as I said. So I threw up in a bag, tied it off and put it in the closet. Like, how disgusting is that? You know, and then I threw it away later because, I don't know. Um, so... And then the, the day, my first day of abstinence was um, Thanksgiving of 1987. I went, I didn't wanna go anywhere for Thanksgiving. I was so afraid um, because like I said, once I start eating, I can't stop eating. I was afraid to be home with food, around food, around your food. I mean, I've thrown food in the trash, taken it out, you know, done all sorts of gross things. And so, I had to go to, I was gonna to go to this AA party with a girl I sponsor and she was in OA. And so I, I didn't wanna go, but we went together. And so that's why um, OA works because we do it together. We don't do it alone. And so that's why you can't just sit home and work the program by yourself, you know? Um, and that's what I got, I miss meeting so much. I miss the laughter, the fellowship, the, everything like us being together like I can't we can and so off we went to this party and we went in the bathroom and we got on our knees and we asked God to please help us eat an abstinent meal and then we got one plate of food which was a foreign concept to me and uh we ate our plate of food and then we went back in the bathroom got on our knees and thanked God for our abstinent abstinent meal and I didn't eat anything else I didn't throw up and so my I have been abstinent ever since that day. So that's like 33 years, three months, and I think two weeks. Um, so it's interesting that it was Thanksgiving. So, and I think of Thanksgiving now just really like another day to have just a regular meal. Um, and then, but I will tell you, like, you know, everything wasn't perfect, you know? And I think that's what I hear the most with people is, um, I don't believe there is perfect food. What I eat might not work for you. What you eat might not work for me. Um, and it's sort of a, I was talking to somebody else about this. It's kind of a trial and error, you know? And so my abstinence is I don't throw up no matter what. I kind of believe you have to also have an abstinence that you can do over a long period of time. Um, and so 
my food was a little all over the place at first, but I could not throw up. And um, it was hard. I had to use all the tools. I had to pray. I had to read. I had to make calls. I had, I mean, sometimes I would just brush my teeth after a meal, um, take a walk. Sometimes I had to just go to bed, you know, um, and just call it a day. And, and, but I went to meetings. We used to go to the Drug and Alcohol Center. It was on Santa Monica, it was on Robertson, and then it moved to Santa Monica Boulevard upstairs. It was Monday night, 845. It's like the latest meeting. And I loved all those girls there. I still know quite a few um, girls from then. And we were all just insane. We were insane. We would go to Cafe Figaro and have dinner before the meeting. And we everybody had these ridiculous orders. Like, I want this, not this, hold this, no oil. No, you know, everybody had those complicated orders and they they worked with us. And so, but we were all crazy together. And that's the great thing. Like you should all have, I believe everybody should have like trudging buddies, you know? So I had buddies and then I think I became secretary of the meeting, even though I was like, why am I going to be secretary? Like I still felt like a loser for the longest time. I hated my body. I always thought I, I should be thinner. And, um, and, but when I became secretary, you know, I, I'm a big believer in commitments at light a candle. Uh, we created a lot of commitments for people so everybody can have a job. So it'll get you to the meeting you meet people and it makes you feel part of. I just think it is so important to have a commitment. And it's hard on Zoom, you know, to have that connectiveness. But, you know, I became secretary and then people asked me to sponsor them. And I'm like, why do they want me to sponsor them? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I hate myself, you know, but it's interesting because if you give it away, you'll keep it. You, you'll never keep it if you don't give it away. It's, there's something in one of my readers, uh, the 24 hour day book that says, you know, a body of water becomes stagnant if it doesn't have an intake and an outtake. So, you know, it's, it's like the links in the chain. We are all, you know, have to be a link in the chain. And um, so I started working with people and then I would tell you to do something. And since I told you to do it, I would do it too. And that's the same today, you know, I tell the girls that I sponsor to do things, but I can't tell you to do anything that I'm not doing. And so it keeps me on the beam and really sponsoring people probably helps me more than it helps them. You know, I'm so grateful to the girls I sponsor. A lot of them come to this meeting. I force them to come, you know, so I can see them every week. And uh, I also think it's hard to sponsor people if you don't see them ever, you know, and because there's something about like my sponsor can take one look at me and know what's happening with me or it's why I don't believe in like texting or emailing to communicate it's good for information but I can call my sponsor and she can tell by my tone of voice if I'm okay and I can tell that with people I sponsor if they're doing okay and um it's like a human connection you know and so so I got abstinent and, and um god I was going to school and you know, I got married somewhere in that time. And I, was, I remember I learned like that if I didn't want food in my house and it was calling to me, I could throw it away until like I had um, my husband and then he would come home and say, where are my, you know, brownies or, you know, whatever he had. And I'd be like, oh, I threw it down the trash chute, you know, because I, I lived on the 12th floor at the time and I could throw things literally down the trash chute. So there was no pull it out of the trash ever. 
And then I, I had to realize that his food is his food, my food is my food, and that, you know, I could separate it. And, and I also remember it was quite a revelation that, you know, if I don't take the first compulsive bite, I'm okay. It's the first bite that gets you. Cause I would be like, I'm just gonna have one. I did that for so long, like maybe a little, but it's better to just not eat, not eat something at all if I'm if it's a problem. You know, and so, you know, I was going to school, I got married, I got pregnant, and you know, I've had like a, a full life during these years. And when I got pregnant, it did totally change my idea of what my body's purpose was. You know, I thought I could mold and control and change my body. And if, if, if it was a certain way, like I said, that would make me happy. And, um, but when I had a baby, I was like, oh, wow, my body has a different purpose. Like it's got a whole new purpose. And it just fed this little thing for nine months. Uh, and it's quite amazing. And so, and I also got weighed when I was pregnant, which was a whole new thing too. And you knew your weight was going up, but you know what? I stayed abstinent. I kept my food, you know, I adjusted my food. That's why my abstinence has to be something I can do in good times, bad times, on the road, on vacation, anywhere. Like I could go to 7-Eleven and put together an abstinent meal in the 7-Eleven, you know, and and I had to change things up. You know, what I did before pregnancy didn't work. And, and so, you know, I had my daughter and lost weight and then I got divorced. And, you know, when I got divorced, it was um, the most painful thing that had ever happened to me at that point. And my daughter was not quite one. And um, I never wanted to be a single mother. Uh, like I said, I'm a quitter. It just seemed like way too hard for me. Um, my, my cry was, no, I can't, you know, and I, uh, my sponsor was tough on me during that time because I used to complain and, you know, I mean, everybody first felt sorry for me because of my husband and it just was a bad situation. And, and, um, but I have learned here that I am not a victim, you know, that either God is or God isn't. And God will never give me more than I can handle. And so um, my sponsor was big on finding a solution and not giving up. And you know, what's interesting is my daughter's 27 today. Um, my daughter's actually a chef and she is the most unbelievable cook, which believe me was not, no, I'm a hairdresser. It had nothing to do with me. And uh, um, like she used to say to me sometime, like, what's for dinner? And I'd be like, again, like I have to do it again. Like, oh my God, you know, and that's how I feel about a lot of things like really. And so, but today, because I was consistent, because I followed sponsor direction, because I, I became a grown up, and, uh, we're like the best of friends. Like we have the best relationship and, um, I just adore her and she actually is a phenomenal chef. Uh, so anyway, so, and I learned too, that, you know, pain, um, if any of you are in pain, pain does have a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, even though the middle is extremely long and you can never figure it out. And, and I also believe like if God has, God meant for me to be with somebody, we'll be together. You know, my sponsor used to always say that it doesn't matter what you do, you'll be together. And, um, and also what happened was I was very thin after that divorce. I was just 
in a lot of pain. And um, I also learned that being thin doesn't make you happy. Like the thinnest times in my life were the worst times in my life. Um, the other time being um, in 2010, I was diagnosed with this rare kind of eye cancer called ocular melanoma. And, um, you know, that started a whole period of uh, really a hard time, you know, and um, I, there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, uh, and I've also learned that I will be okay not knowing what's going to happen. And I can accept my life exactly as it is at the moment, you know, and, and during that time, I really didn't know what was going to happen. Like I can't see out of one of my eyes. I never tell people that when I'm cutting their hair, they all think I can see because I wear glasses, but you know, I had this radiation in my eye and all this just really hideous stuff, you know, and, um, and, there's another thing in one of my books that says the hand that veils the future is the hand of God. And like I said, I'm a quitter. If you told me I was going to go through this whole cancer thing over at Jules Stein with all these specialists and radiation and scans and I mean, all the stuff and eyes are pretty gross. I have learned that most people get pretty freaky. I don't really tell people about my eye unless they're cool with it because it is disgusting. Actually, and it's uh, 610. Thank you. And so, um, but you know, it's interesting because I never thought, um, why me? Like, why not me? You know, it's a random thing that happens to very few people. And, uh, but what's so interesting is that I have a deep amount of gratitude for all of your senses. Like, you know, never take your eyes for granted. Like sight is such a beautiful thing. Um, and I learned very much to accept help during that time because people really helped me. Like I couldn't drive, I, I could barely walk outside because I couldn't see. I had to really relearn how to do quite a few things. And because um, you have no depth perception when you have only have one eye. And so I'm gonna have a little bit of vision in one eye. And, uh, but it made me, because um, I'm a really direct, practical person. I come from a family of all engineers. You know, I'm very blunt. I'm, you know, I, I like things like that. They feel comfortable to me, but it sort of softened me and let me um, accept help from people. And uh, it just changed me. It slowed me down, which is kind of what the pandemic has also done too, is um, I was always making lists and busy and rushing and going, and it just slowed me way down. And so, uh, and I also learned like the big book talks about in the story um, about focusing on the good and the good will grow, you know? So I can either, you know, wallow in the bad or get into the solution, focus on the good, which I did quite a bit when I had cancer because I did have a lot of people rally around me and, and a lot of people praying for me and the power of prayer is enormous. So uh, I will be forever grateful for, you know, all my friends and, you know, just all the people that sort of had my back. And, and so, you know, I kind of, I, I went through that and now, you know, it's interesting, like you look back, um, I look back at like the mosaic of my life and all the things that have happened, you know, the good and the bad, you know, cause now I, I got remarried. Um, I've been with my husband um, since, I don't know, like 17 years for a long time, but we got remarried, we got married, not remarried in um, 2019 before the shutdown, which was great. 
And, you know, I am, I know that God had an exact plan for me, you know, an exact plan. Like my husband, when I first got sober, I had to get a job, just a simple job. I wasn't doing hair. And so I got a job at the store and my now husband's mother owned that store. And I thought this job was so stupid. It was at a costume jewelry store, a beautiful store, but he would bring in our checks. Bobby. So um, later on, they went out of business and I went back to doing hair. And then like 16 years went by, we ran into each other. We didn't get together then, but then we ran into each other again and we got together. And then when his mom, she died of lung cancer, I'm not sure how many years ago. And when she was dying, literally on her dying bed, his brother brought up that his mother didn't like anybody that he ever dated except for me. And that is a testament to what I have learned here. You know, my sponsor who's passed away, Marion, used to tell us these four things. One was to be on time. Two was to keep your commitments. Three is to act better than you feel. And four is to treat people with love and kindness, whether they deserve it or not. And I brought all those things into the workplace. And because of that, like I think, wow, if I didn't follow sponsor direction and just take that job, I would have never met him. So I, I figure God is working always. He's got a plan for me. He's really old and he works really slowly, but he's he's watching me. So you know, I just never know how things are going to work out in my life. But I have found that as long as I stay abstinent, you know, I plan my meals, I eat meals, and then I live life in, in between. And I think the best gift is that food is quiet. My head is quiet. Like I have sane and guilt-free eating a day at a time, which is based on my spiritual condition. You know, it's nothing that I do. I just continue to do the same things over and over and over because they they still work. And I have always kept coming back. So, you know, OA has given me really, really a great life and a, you know, a big life and a quiet mind. And I, I could have never done like that. There is no human power that would do that. There's no diet that would do that. And so I'm glad that I don't have to search for another solution anymore, that my solution is exactly right here. And I can, you know, easy does it, keep it simple, you know, first things first, like I love all those slogans. And um, I think, you know, I will stop and then I can take questions, but I'm really um, grateful to be here. And if you're new, I hope that you keep coming back and join us, you know, that it is a great, great journey. Thank you. Awesome, thank you so much, Leslie, that was great. Um, okay, so we have time for questions. How about Michael S? Leslie, thank you so much. Um, amazing share. I, uh, I would love to hear more about follow through and what has helped you. Uh, where are you at with that now? How have you sort of grown into someone who, who does follow through? Because it seems to me like you very much are. Thank you just follow through in life. Yeah, you said in, like, I'm not a finisher. Oh, yeah. Got it. Like, how do you? Um, <laughs> you know what? I start by making my bed, you know. Uh, we learned when we were new. There was this whole saying, messy bed, messy head. So no, I, I, I believe that um, I have to 
start my day, like the big book says, you know, upon awakening, you know, we think about the day ahead. Like, I think that if I can't give God a little time in the morning, um, what's going to happen later on? So I, I, this is what I do. I roll out of bed onto my knees. Like I don't stand up and I say, God help me. That's my first prayer. Grab my cats. Usually my husband's still sleeping, go out. Um, so then he makes the bed, but somebody makes the bed. Um, and then I get coffee, sit down. And then what I do, I have more time now because my daughter's not here. I mean, she's big and grown. Um, but I uh, I first write it and I can't look at my phone because if I start on my phone, you know, it's hard to get off. And so I write a gratitude list and my gratitude list is one word, you know, sober, abstinent, you know, body, health, eyes, vision. It's just, I can do it pretty quickly. I actually... Um, then write the names of all the people who have passed away that were in my life. And then I write my purpose and my purpose just literally flows out of me. And um, I don't know where it comes from. It's got to come from God. And then I read a reader or two, and then I, I do meditate every day. I'm big plug for meditation. If you don't meditation, I highly recommend trying one minute and then you could bump up to maybe three minutes, but I really, really enjoy it. Cause if I can, I think prayer is asking for God's will and then meditation is listening. And so I, I do everything that's on my list to do. Like if I'm supposed to go to work, I go to work. You know, if I'm supposed to speak, I speak. Like I used to always try to find the better thing to do. I would cancel something and then do this. And I was, I just, if anybody asked me to do something and my calendar is open, I do it. I say yes, because I think God is working, you know, and, um, and if I'm unsure what to do, I call my sponsor and ask her, and then I just follow her direction. So I think it's just not shirking responsibility. I open my mail, I answer my phone, I return my phone calls. And those things gave me self-esteem, you know, and I've always gone to meetings. I have never skipped meetings. I've never left meetings early. I'm a big believer in staying through the end of the meeting, through the prayer. Um, I actually just spoke at a meeting. We had to read a story in the big book, which I can't remember the name of it, um, but I swear I've never read the story before, but it's always been in there. And it talked about at the end of the meeting, holding hands, you know, and I believe so much in when we hold hands, the power that runs through that unending circle gives us the strength to go on, you know? And so I think it's just consistently doing the same things over and over whether you want to or not. And eventually you'll, you'll want to, you know, it's like the Zen of washing dishes. You know, I wash dishes and just try to find the enjoyment in doing it. Um, I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Leslie. Um, so it looks like that's all the time we have for questions. I'll go ahead and hand it over to our secretary, Leslie. 